The Athletic. Totally Football League show. Derby leave it late again. Lee Johnson sacked by Sunderland after a thumping at Bolton. Reading stand by their man for now, despite the Royals' latest loss. Neil Harris is in at Gillingham. And the top two tussle in League Two is emphatically won by Forest Green Rovers. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Here we are again for another week then. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by EFL Centurion Sam Parkin. Hi, Matt. Adrian Clark's with us too. Uh, Clark is a former Arsenal midfielder. Have you had a, a call to at least train with the club, if not re-sign yet? <laughs> no. Anyone, anyone that's seen me play in the last uh, eight to ten years in, in any kind of five-a-side or charity match will know that... Arsenal won't be coming knocking for me. Not despite how braggadocious you were about your keep you up record on Thursday. Wow, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michelle Owens also with us, the host of Sky Sports EFL coverage. Um, Michelle, we, we sort of reckon 25 was about the average keep you uppies for a non ex footballer. Is, is that around your batting average, too? I'm really surprised it's that low, but I guess the joints and things start to go, don't they, Clarky? So what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I'm not saying what my average is because it'd be decidedly lower. Okay, so we'll move on. Fine. I mean, it feels like there's a feature in it somewhere, maybe for the end of the season, but we'll, we'll put it on hold um, for now. We'll get to some actual football shortly. But first, after a series of unwanted intrusions, interruptions, and people chucking stuff this weekend and over the course of the season, the EFL have released a statement which says any form of antisocial behaviour is unacceptable and whilst these instances only represent a very small section of people attending matches, the mindless few who choose to behave in this way are only demonstrating a complete lack of respect for the clubs they claim to support. Our message is simple. Those intent on causing trouble are not welcome at our matches. We ask you to stay away. I mean, they're kind of forced into action here, Michelle, aren't they? They, they feel like they've got to to say something, but this isn't this isn't going to make much difference, is it? If if you're of the mind to do this kind of thing, you're probably not going to read this statement, and even less likely to act on it. Uh, I think what they need is hard examples of people that have been caught lobbing something onto the pitch and what's happened to them. So whether that's a ban for life, or you know whether they've gone to the police station and and what happens after that, I'm no legal expert, but they've got to show that they can catch people and what happens when they catch them because like you say how much of a deterrent would it be just saying stop it you know if I tell my toddler to stop something does he stop it no it's the same mentality you know they're just being mindless and I don't know I don't know why it's come back around to being so prominent we missed fans being in the stadium so much let's not ruin it for everyone but yeah they probably need to be shown in the simplest terms what it means when they get caught, when they get caught, and the authorities and and the grounds, I guess, security need to show we can catch you, and when we do, you won't be coming back. Is draconian the way forward for you, Sam? Lengthy bans, you can never come back, criminal record, that kind of thing. Yeah, it has to be. I don't know why we've reached this this place again. Um, I don't know. There seems to be a little bit of a culture about supporters going to games and having a go at the opposition fans and the opposition players rather than getting behind their sides. That seems to have crept back in. It's always been there, you know, I used to go to games and give the opponents a bit of stick and, and what have you, the referee, but not not to this ridiculous level. It just seems, um, you know, terrible right now. I don't know if everyone's been pent up, stuck in their houses and allowed to go to games. and Forgotten getting, how to behave, Sam. That's getting stuck happened. into the booze and, and what have you. I mean, that's... That mentality has never been 
um, something that I've understood, you know, <laughs> by all means have a drink at half time, but that, that culture of, you know, piling into the booze for an early kickoff away from home seems to be, you know, across the board right now. So yeah, of course, just need to come down really hard on them. And the problem's always that the security, the stewards in the ground don't want to get involved, it would seem, and, and don't pay enough money to, to get involved. And that's, that's probably understandable. Without wishing to make excuses, Clarkey, for, for football, it's kind of reflective of society, isn't it? And the way things have gone in the last couple of years, sort of standards and respect in most walks of life seem to have dipped significantly. It does feel that way, doesn't it? It feels like, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's just all in a bit of a mess at the moment, isn't it? And and a lot of people aren't very happy. And and yeah, just this is this is a really bad news story. It's not a good look. I don't think it's a football problem. It's a, it is a society thing. I, I just echo what everybody else said. Really, what else can you do? Maybe maybe some more investment. In CCTV, that kind of thing. You know, I'm not a big fan of the Big Brother society particularly, but if people know cameras are trained on them, then then maybe it might be that a little bit less less likely to to, to act like this, um, you know, in fear of potentially being caught after the event and identified. That, that's the only thing I can think of. How does that happen when clubs are skinned? I don't know if the EFL maybe needs to subsidise subsidise the installation of of better equipment for for clubs, potentially moving forward. But but yeah, it's 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 really bad to see, and it's in such stark contrast to the way that fans behave in the sort of moments of crisis. We're seeing a lot of medical emergencies, aren't we, inside stadiums at the moment? And and there's so much you know respect shown at those times, and everyone works together for the for the greater good. Yet. We're getting at the opposite end of the spectrum way too often, and it's um, yeah, it's miserable. Right, high time we talked about some football. We'll start in the championship next. We all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game, but since I've retired, I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates. Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series. Watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie Investigates, Twitter trolls. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. 18plusbegambleaware.org You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, it's 122 not out for Billy Sharp as he breaks the championship goal-scoring record after scoring against Peterborough and Middlesbrough up into the playoffs after beating Coventry. QPR and Bournemouth keep their push for a top-two finish alive. Forrest lost to Cardiff with Jordan Hugill scoring on debut. Derby now seven points from safety after pinching a point against Birmingham in front of a sellout crowd at Pride Park. But the weekend's action overshadowed after a Fulham supporter, Paul Parrish, sadly died after suffering a cardiac arrest during the White Straw with Blackpool. His daughter Claire wrote a lovely thread thanking those who tried to save her dad. Her condolences to her and all who knew him. We're going to begin our look back at the weekend on Sunday where Derby did it again. Three minutes of normal time left. They were 2-0 down against Birmingham. Luke Plange scores one. And then a year to the day since his last appearance, Christian Bielik does this. Derby now seven points off safety 
with Birmingham in 17th. Michelle, what do you make of them on the pitch, Derby? Are they going to do it? Are they are they the team with with all the momentum and the form at the moment? And does it depend on who's still there at the end of today? I don't look at the, the form table and they're right up there at the moment. It, it's absolutely amazing. I think they were sixth. You know, the way they're going, I think we said a couple of months ago they had to be in playoff form to stay up. It really depends on, on those above them because at the moment they're staying up by default, aren't they? The likes of Reading. I just can't write them off because it, a Derby fan tweeted me yesterday and said, before Wayne Rooney, we would have just rolled over. We wouldn't have had that last minute equaliser. We wouldn't have believed that was going to happen. And I think it's what they've said a few times, the siege mentality, that they just keep going right to the end. And even when it's 2-1 in the 90th minute, you still think they could get something from this. Um the Christian Bielik's story is, is wonderful, coming back from injury, although he landed. Did he land on his shoulder or did he do that in the celebration? It was it was stressful to watch because I was so happy for him. And then that happened. I was like, no, don't be injured again from celebrating. Um, but people have made a good point. You know, they signed him for around 10 million. They still owe Arsenal 8 million for this player. And he's on around £20,000 a week. You know, and this is what's got Derby into this mess. So thankfully, not his fault, any of those numbers, but thankfully the players are at least doing their bit. You know, it's not their fault what they were signed for. It's not really their fault what they get paid. Their agents negotiate that. So for me, the Derby players and the Derby staff, you can talk about how much Wayne Rooney gets paid a week, which is an incredible amount of money, but they are all doing their bit. They now need the administrator to do their bit because the last thing we want to see is this club go into liquidation because it all feels so different to what's happening on the pitch, to what's happening off it. And you can see how much the fans care. There were so many there yesterday. So many marched up to the stadium. I had some friends that went. They said it was actually a nice atmosphere. You know, it wasn't sort of pitchforks and things, but there was anger. Um, Clarky, I'll come to you. Michelle mentions the administrators there. Wayne Rooney said that he guarantees nobody will leave the club today, which is deadline day. We're recording it at lunchtime. How is that possible? Surely the administrators should be selling off players to pay off existing creditors. That's how administration works. It is how it works, yeah. Um, how many more players have they got left to, to get rid of? <laughs> that was the question I'd probably ask. They they are down to you know down to the bare bones to some degree, aren't they? Yeah, Bielik would be one a really saleable asset, actually, wouldn't wouldn't he? If he'd have been fitter earlier, uh, I'm convinced that somebody would have come in for for him, and they could have recouped some of that money and maybe got round to paying Arsenal finally for him. So so now it's it's a yeah, the administrators have to do have to bring in cash, don't they? They have to have to do that today. But be, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I I just think in terms of what's going on on the pitch, this was this was a great comeback because they were very average in the game. <laughs> it really came alive towards the end, uh, and they somehow get themselves out of it with two real real moments of inspiration. Great finishes, weren't they, from Plange and and Bielik. Absolutely tremendous. They also got lucky because that was offside. Clearly, yeah, they should, the have had a pen. they should have had a pen. They should, but they might not have scored that pen. They would have had yep. that goal disallowed for sure. So they got lucky, no doubt about that. And if I was Birmingham, I'd, I'd, I'd feel quite aggrieved about that. But look, it is, it is what it is. Well, Birmingham's still not safe, but no doubt Reading are the team that Derby are most likely to catch. Velko Panovic felt his team played well, other than conceding four goals, which is a bit like praising the cabaret on the Titanic. Uh, their latest loss, 4 0. At QPR, our side will be eyeing a top two finish. They're fourth, just two points off second place. 
Uh, Sam, to say we were so concerned about your boys when, when the key men went to AFCON, they've dealt with it remarkably well, haven't they? And, and another plus here in, in Lyndon Dykes getting back amongst the goals for the first time since October. Yeah, one of the most infuriating players I've seen in blue and white for many a year. <laughs> I actually told my, my brother was here on Friday. A lot of my family went to the game uh, on Saturday. Unfortunately, I had to work with you, Matt, so I couldn't make it. But um, I was telling my, my brother about my disdain for Lyndon Dykes and all of a sudden he <laughs> produced that performance. Uh, just when you, I can't take it anymore, he delivers. So I think to answer your question, uh, Andre Gray, Charlie Austin, Dykes, they've all chipped in with important goals. Um, Willock has continued to wow, I think, in the absence of uh, Ilias Chair. But I think defensively, that, that's what it's been about because QPR haven't been free-flowing in the previous victories, they've got over the line somehow, Birmingham, uh, Bristol City, um, yeah, some very narrow games, but they've been able to do that because the form of Barbe, uh, Dickey and Dunn, who's been sensational, has really come to the fore and add in David Marshall, who's kept three clean sheets in four games, which is a brilliant bit of business by Mark Warburton, having lost his two goalkeepers, one to the AFCON and, and one to injury in, in Jordan Archer. So I would say rather than the the attacking players, the flair going forward. It's been more about the structure of Mark Warburton's side, which has maybe been a bit of a rarity during Mark Warburton's career because it's always, we're going to outscore the opposition. So very welcome. Just to add to what Sam said there, seven clean sheet wins at home this season. Every team, when they play at home, they set out to win the game, keep a clean sheet, be tight. In reality, you don't pick up that many clean sheet victories um, but they've, they've produced seven already this season that's really impressive and it goes against what QPR were before they're always good going forward weren't they always had these talented young players but but they weren't that tight at the back that that's that's changed the other thing to, that I wanted to just mention on QPR was was a quote I read from from Mark Warburton he said we felt red and were fragile so I told my players to go out hard and fast early on in the game and we got our rewards. And that is so true. When a team is on a bad run, it's actually criminal if you don't do that. If you let them off the hook and you and you play an easy-ozy game and you, and you don't play at a tempo and you don't get in their faces, that, that, yeah, yeah, it's unforgivable, really. So I'm glad QPR did that and, and, and boy, did they get their rewards. And, and, and he's right. <laughs> this Reading team are seriously fragile, uh, particularly down down the centre of the pitch where you know, Drinkwater and Tom Holmes and people like that are really struggling at the moment. And Michelle, you get the most difficult question of the week. Think of something positive to say about Reading. Um, nope, I can't <laughs> find you anything. I mean, technically, they're only bottom of the form table because Barnsley are slightly better. No, that's not positive. That's positive for Barnsley. I can't find anything. <laughs> they had more here. shots, Goal. Michelle. They had more shots, believe it or not. Yeah, there's your stats, man. That's incredible. <laughs> Where did they go? Rosette? <laughs> um, the, the other I'm thing really would be Lucas Lucas Jow returning, but um, yeah. I think my brother said he could control it further than he could kick it at the weekend. So <laughs> bit, bit of a, he wasn't bit at his of a best. Touch of rust then. But... I mean, I look at who they've got coming up. Peterborough's obviously a massive game for them. They've got Birmingham, I suppose, but Preston are going okay. Then, obviously, there's there's nothing straightforward in the championship, but I can't see where they're going to get their, their points from looking at the games coming up. They have got still to play before the end of the season, the likes of Barnsley and Cardiff, which could be key. But as I said earlier on the pod, at the moment, they're staying up by default, purely because Derby have had that points deduction. If not, Derby would be 
even though they would have points deduction themselves, Derby would be well away, wouldn't they? And they'd be in the bottom three. And, and Cardiff picked up that massive win yesterday. I can't see Peterborough getting out of trouble at the moment. But Reading could be watching their backs for Derby more than Peterborough. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that's the way it looks as things stand. And Falko Panovic is, is hanging on. I, I'd heard rumours a few weeks ago that he might be going, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, interesting situation at Reading is that his agent also advises the owner of Reading. So it's uh, a bit of a tricky one how that'll play out. <laughs> Um, elsewhere, Hull announced their new manager, Shota Arvaladze, a few days after everybody else had announced it for them. Uh, but they continued where Grant McCann had left off, this time a 2-0 win over Swansea. So they're both on 32 points, but the Swans have played two games fewer. Uh, I guess, Clark, he didn't, he didn't do much in terms of shuffling things around Arvaladze in this game. Just one change to, to the starting lineup, but there's no real need to change a team that's just had two great wins. Exactly. Yeah, no, Grant McCann left the team in, in good shape. They were really confident. The, the change was Brandon Fleming, who came in at left wing back, added some real good balance, some, some drive, and he made one of the goals. So so he took his opportunity with, with other players out injured. And and I think even though the players would have been really sad to, to see Grant McCann go, and I think they would have felt it was a harsh dismissal, in, in dressing room, Sam will tell you, there's not really much room for sentiment. Once that guy goes and the new face comes in, it starts then. You just get on with it, don't you? And, and, and yeah, so I don't think anyone will be moping around at, at Hull. And by all accounts, you know, Arvaladze is a, is a good good coach. He knows his way around. And, um, yeah, I'm quite interested to see how he'll, how he'll fare moving forward. He's pro- promised attacking football. They did only have five shots at the weekend, but but... You know, they got themselves in front early on and, and, and won easily. One other thing to pick out with Hull, which is quite strange given how low they are in the league, when they do go in front, they very rarely let it go. They're outstanding front runners. From from 10 games now, where they've scored the first goal, they've won eight, drawn one and lost one, and they've only let in five goals in those 10 games once they've taken the lead. So... This group of players, once they get them get themselves in front, they don't tend to to, to give you any gifts back into it, and that's it's a good platform for for him to build moving forwards. They want to be busy today. I think holding on to Keen Lewis Potter will be the, the main thing they'll be they'll be looking to secure. It's quite a nice position for him, Sam, isn't it? For the rest of the season, twelve points above the relegation zone after these three wins, so so he can have a good look at what he's got, whether that be new players coming in today or, or people still there who weren't playing much under McCann. There's there's time to tinker. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that they'll they'll do too much considering the position that you you just said, and yeah, you'll have to have a look at everyone. But things are going well, as as Clarky said. There was no need to to rip everything up and and change too much in terms of the way that they've been playing. Um, just to add to what Clarky was saying there. I think when there was the rumours of the new manager coming in, there would have been disappointment amongst the squad because things things were going well, and I'm sure there was a certain degree of loyalty towards. Grant McCann but once that has happened yeah you just you train hard those first few weeks you're desperate to impress the new the new boss and there's an opportunity I suppose for the fringe players as well to to stake a claim now in a in a dressing room that should be a relatively you know happy place because the results have been really good recently so yeah I mean there may be one or two little sign-ins just to excite the fans and the new owner to stamp his authority and and show them what he's all about but I wouldn't imagine there's going to be a huge overhaul because things are going okay 
Not going so okay for Swansea, Michelle, is it? It feels like Russell Martin could do with a result before too long because it's it's all threatening to unravel a little bit. Yeah, but you've got to look at the wider context. Jamie Patterson has been missing for the last four matches due to this contract dispute, which I know you've touched upon before. And that has really damaged Swansea and it shows how important he is to the side. Massive playmaker for them. They value him around £750,000. Um they rejected a pair of bids from QPR, which makes you wonder how low they were. Uh, Bournemouth apparently explored the option of adding him. I mean, I don't know where he plays, seeing as they're signing everyone. Um, they, they, I think Russell Martin said that he needed a bit of help. But so far, at the time of speaking on deadline day, I don't think they've signed anyone yet. They were looking at Josh Wilson, Josh Wilson Esbrand on loan from Man City, but he was reluctant to leave. Remember, they've lost Ethan Laird this transfer window. Uh, they've been looking at Narky Wells on loan from Bristol City as well. That hasn't happened yet. So I think he just needs a bit bit of help. Jake Bidwell's left this window too. So it's hard when you haven't got the tools at your disposal, I guess. And he's got a very defined way of playing, as as, as you've all talked about this season. But... The transfer window closes in a few hours and they're going to need a bit of a, a miracle in those few hours. Yeah, did bring in the goalkeeper, didn't they, at the start of the window um, from, from MK Dons. But he's not played him and I don't get why. Um, but Ben Hamer, not a massive fan of him, I have to say, as a, as a number one. I think I think it might be time to to bring Fisher in. It's definitely a, an imbalance in the team. I, really, I rate Russell Martin, but he needs to be given you know more players, really. How, using a back three that contains Carl Norton and, and, and Manning, it's just a bit weak in my opinion. I know they're good players, but then they're not they're not lifelong centre halves. You know, they're sort of learning on the job. You've got Latabertier as well playing left wing back at the moment. That's Doesn't so weird, isn't it, Clarkey? It's such, such a weird him. one. When I, when yeah. I was down there earlier in the season, they said it's because Norton's so good at dropping in and playing those passes as the middle of the three. But I thought, well, why have you got Latipudier out as a wing-back? I'm, I'm doing the game down there on Saturday and, and it's going to be fascinating to see what the sort of the local journos, they're so great down there, they always give such an insight, see what they make of it all because that just seems a weird decision when you've got Norton who can play, he can play either side and you've got a big player like, not to be stereotypical, but you've got a big player playing wing-back. Why are you doing that? It seems a bit square pegs round holes and now Bidwell's gone, they've got more, more of a problem, haven't they? They have actually just brought in, I know we're doing transfers in a bit, but Finley Burns from Manchester City, under 23s. And I saw him uh, last week against Chelsea and he was very comfortable on the ball, hitting a lot of diagonals, stepping out with it. So he'll probably go straight into the middle of that defence because I, th- I was presuming they'd maybe go in for Harry Darling, uh, MK Dons, uh, considering the, uh, the the way that he took to playing for Russell Martin's side. So uh, he'd definitely be one to watch and, and give them a bit more control with the ball. Uh, elsewhere, into the Lions' den went West Brom and they came out torn to shreds. Millwall beat them 2-0. Baggies remain fifth but have only won once in January. This was Millwall's first victory of 2022. Uh, we're going to talk about the dismissal of Lee Johnson at Sunderland later. I just wonder, Michelle, if that maybe pricked up the ears of the West Brom board because it's uh, it's been more than a sticky patch now for, for Valerian Ismail. Uh, wow, that is something I I didn't actually think of yet because I know we're going to touch on Lee Johnson more later on, but yeah, I mean, I've seen what some West Brom fans are saying about Ishmael and some of the banners that have been, did you see the pictures, the banners outside the mm. Hawthorns and not very nice things being said. We've said it a few times on Sky this season with West Brom, but we got sort of tired of saying it at the start. What is their plan B? 
And we thought by now we'd see it, but we still haven't seen it. And oh, I keep talking about the form table today, don't I? I'm like a stuck record. <laughs> but their form, as we all know, is dreadful. If I go to the form table, let me boot this back up. They are currently 21st in the form table. Only Peterborough, Barnsley and Reading are below them. Um, they'd probably have to win, what, another 15 games to guarantee automatics? Do you see them, well, even to be in the playoffs, perhaps, at least 10? Do you see them doing that? I don't see them doing that right now. Not unless they make a change, Michelle. I, I, yeah. I think, Andy I think Carroll? that I, <laughs> I think, look, Andy Carroll's... Uh, an okay replacement? Can you trust him to stay fit for, for eight weeks while you wait for Tara DK? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's probably been a while since Andy Carroll went eight weeks without without being injured. So in my view, it's just the wrong fit. There the, the, the players they've got, Clarkie. The, players the team got. still looks yeah. like one that Slaven Bilic built. And Slaven Bilic played a completely different style of football and I, I used to watch them a lot then and they were they were fantastic really really slick and and now they're being asked to do things that they don't want to do and 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 the only way you you'll continue to get players to do things they don't want to do is if you're winning games and and as you've, as you've pointed out they're not winning very many of those at the moment so yeah I think with the mood among the fans players definitely a bit disenchanted with with what's going on I think I think they're done. I don't think they'll get promoted under Valerian Ishmael. If someone else comes in, they might. That's my that's my opinion. I, I don't disagree with anything um, you, you've said, either of you, but isn't Andy Carroll maybe a plan B? Because he's not going to be able to press. And isn't that a massive part of Valerian Ishmael's game plan for Darrow DK and the, the fellow forwards when they give the ball away to go and hunt and, and win it again high up? I mean, he's not going to be able to do that, is he? So... Is this him maybe changing a little bit in terms of getting balls I don't know, crossed in or getting balls going from back to front into Andy Carroll and trying to build yeah. from there? Yeah, I mean, I I thought that uh, Jake Livermore was going to be on borrowed time and I, I still feel like that. I just don't think that there's some players, you know, in that midfield that are going to be able to play this style and I think that's been proved right. So, and the wing-backs, I don't think there's... You know, you can't... You, um, look at what he had last year with um, Callum Styles and Britain. You know, he's got Furlong and, and Townsend playing those roles at West Brom. I don't think they give you anywhere near what those two chaps at Barnsley were giving them offensively. Mm-hmm. They basically had three forward-minded players in their team at Mill at the weekend. Three. You know, the two attacking midfielders and the striker. Everyone else is pretty much... You know, their strength lies in, in the other side of the game. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's not it's not great. And I, and I, I do understand why the fans are, are so unhappy. And now then, on Saturday night, a piece of history was made. To uh, Al-Rahan and Norwood then into yeah. the area. And then a turn from Billy Sharp. Out of nothing. Silences the Peterborough fans. Billy Sharp scores goals. He is out on his own as the Championship's greatest ever goal scorer. And he has put the plate ahead here at Peterborough. Nine minutes into the second half. Yeah, Billy Sharp became the Championship's record goal scorer as Sheffield United beat Peterborough. 2-0 at London Road, a fairly typical Billy Sharp finish it was as well. Uh, this one, Sam, you're a centre-forward. Uh, what do you like about Sharp? What's made him so good? How come he's had this longevity? Uh, just Can you just play in what my other brother said on Saturday? Because uh, <laughs> Dean Aston said it perfectly. I think <laughs> just uh, anticipation, anticipation. That, and that goal, well, he said it. He said it perfectly. You know, he, he dissected the situation and realised that he had to take a touch where he did and then 
the kind of steered in his finish. That's what his career has been been about, really. It's been anticipating opponents' mistakes. Um, he's, he, do you know what? He's got the habit of finding good goal scoring positions and converting them without having to neglect his hard work either, because he's a brilliant team player as well. And you know, it's quite often I get frustrated with strikers who spend too long of their time, you know, running channels and closing people down. But he seemed to have you know, mastered the art of combining both. So I think his professionalism is clearly spot on. And yeah, I think just a natural goal scorer who hasn't always had it his way at some clubs, but I think Sheffield United is definitely his home. Um, I think this is the third spell that he's been there and they love him. And um, yeah, he's scored bundles for them. Professionalism is a good word to use, I think, isn't it, Adrian? Because he had to kind of bide his time at several points latterly in his Sheffield United career, but he hasn't kicked up a fuss. He, he knows his role and he knows that when he comes in, he can show why he should play all the time. He's a good egg, isn't he, in the dressing room? I did hear from someone that knows Billy that that, that he was really tempted to leave halfway this time last year because they were in the Premier League. He wasn't getting much of a sniff, hardly any game time, and he just wants to score goals and play. And in the end, I don't think he could bring himself to leave. He just, no, I'm going to stick around. Maybe he saw that they were going to dip down, dip back down to the Championship. I don't know, but. Um, he'll be glad he stayed. It feels like that record did mean a lot to him. Um, and yeah, I'd echo, echo everything Sam said. He's a good egg, someone, someone that's that's excellent role model in the, in the dressing room. And um, yeah, I, I like his celebrations as well. He's always so excited. When he scores a goal, it's, almost, it's always like it's his first. And, and I do like I do like that from a striker. Um, the one that springs to mind is that goal off the bench in the Premier League last year at Bournemouth. Absolutely, scru- the scruffiest goal you can imagine. But he just come on, he taps it in, and he just everything just went went crazy, didn't it? That, that when I think of Billy Sharp, that goal is what is what comes to my head. There was a great celebration I remember from his brief time at Forest. He scored at Blackpool, jumped into the away support, took a bite out of a kid's hot dog, and then ran back to the centre <laughs> circle, which was absolutely tremendous. Is that actually? Is that real? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, Michelle, I kind of picture him sat on the sofa next to you, previewing West Brom against Barnsley in a couple of years' time, because he's got—he's definitely got character, hasn't he? And, and if he wants a career in the media side of things, when he hangs up his boots, it'll be there for him. Yeah, he's a real character, but he's also really got his head screwed on. Because I read a piece once; um, it said he was in his mid twenties, and he rang his dad and was like, "Oh, wow, I'm really far from home here." And he didn't play for a few weeks, and it sort of clicked that before that he had kind of got away with not doing as much as he needed to when he wasn't on the football pitch. And he realised he had to get his head down, work hard and look after himself, focus on his diet, all of those things. And it's enabled him to have this longevity. He's 36, you know, we have guys on the sofa now that, that aren't even 36 and they've retired and you need a bit of luck with injuries, but I don't see him sitting next to me for a little while. I know his contract's up in, in the summer, but the club's got the option to extend it for, I think, for another year. So as it stands, why wouldn't they? Uh, right, way back in the day, specifically Friday, Huddersfield and Stoke drew one all. <laughs> all anybody wants to talk about this is the Josh Caroma tackle that the referee didn't book him for, never mind send him off. Um, Michelle, you've got loads and loads of replays to look at this and how bad it was. The ref only got one look. They do make mistakes every so often. Would this be that big of a deal had he not scored a goal in the game? 
Yeah, it would still be a massive deal, I think, because the ref did have a really good view of it. And I just, I don't understand. And we were talking about it in the studio because I do think it's a thankless task being a ref and it's it's not one I don't want to personally do. But I just don't understand what what he saw and from the reaction and his assistant, why between them, they couldn't fathom that this was a really nasty challenge. And Joby McEnough was with us and he said, I know Josh and this is not in his character at all. So it probably wasn't with malicious intent, but it was nasty. And I did double check this. So I knew I was saying the right thing on air, but this cannot be retrospectively looked at because the referee literally saw it. He saw what happened and he decided not to do anything about it, Gavin Ward. Um, If I'm on the end of that... It's just, you've got to think, the pace he's going at, studs up, if there's a little bit more force, I, I couldn't watch it. I'd, I've seen a lot of replays and I had to turn away because it's so cringeworthy. You think how bad it could have been if Taylor Harwood-Bellis had been a lot more hurt. It's just, it doesn't bear thinking about it. And that's why referees are there, to keep the game safe. You know, that is one of their jobs and it wasn't a safe tackle. No, it was, it was a really, really bad mistake. There was, there was another one in the game, wasn't there? Tyrese Campbell. It was a definite pen. I mean, he got wiped out inside the box. That was so literally think, just after they'd taken the lead as well. Yeah, Stoke were really yeah. unlucky, I think. They got on the wrong end of some, some bad calls in that game. Just makes you wonder about about the whole VAR, doesn't it, in the Championship? Sh- I can't should, see it, Clarkie. I just can't no. see it happening. Should it be there? I mean, be a huge goal that Derby get at the weekend against against Birmingham would would have been disallowed. Obviously, it'd have been a shame to sort of take that drama away from away from the match because for neutrals it was really exciting. But but yeah, there's some there are going to be a lot of big calls between now and the end of the season that affect teams, affect managers, affect careers, and. Um, and yeah, they haven't haven't got it. We we can see that they've got it wrong straight away, but yeah, they can't do anything about it. It's, I'm torn on it, but I, I do think that that some kind of basic basic level VAR should be introduced into the. Do you think they could have something like pitch size? Don't need to have Stockley Park and things, but that's that's the problem with the infrastructure and 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 the cost. I would imagine is is why it's not in the championship and all the technology needed, but. Yeah, I agree with Clarkie in terms of you think infrastructure-wise in a couple of years, surely it has to come. You think about the playoffs and the playoff final as well, how massive they are. Mm, not for me, Clive. Uh, Sam, bring us your selection <laughs> for our midweek bet builder, please. My choice is Swansea and Luton to be a very low-scoring affair, under 2.5 goals. They did draw 3-3 early part of the season, I've just remembered. Um, But uh, Luton are not scoring goals on the road. I think four in the last six, they failed to score. And Swansea really need help in in that regard. And Russell Martin said as much. So I could see this being 1-0 either way. Uh, Michelle, what's your pick, please? My pick is Derby and Huddersfield to draw because they are literally next to each other in terms of form at the moment. Um, wasn't a bad draw for Huddersfield on, on Friday and they're unbeaten, having a great run. I think they're nine games unbeaten now, but then Derby, you've just got away at the moment. So fancy that for a low score draw. Abby, what do Paddy Power think are the, is the likelihood of those two results? We'll begin with uh, Michelle form table Owen's uh, suggestion um, that the draw comes in at 23 to 10 between those two sides. Huddersfield favourites 19 to 20 and Derby 14 to 5. And uh, for Sam's choice, under 2.5 goals between uh, Swansea and Luton at is uh, 7 to 4 on. That double comes in then at 4 to 1. Thanks, Abby. Let's go to League One. 
Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines, Wigan 19 unbeaten but no longer top of the table. That's Rotherham after their win over Crew, which was marred by an incident which saw a missile thrown at one of the assistant referees who needed treatment. And no change at the bottom with the bottom three all losing and the next three all drawing. Plenty of managerial movement though. Lee Johnson sacked by Sunderland and Neil Harris is in as the Gillingham manager. Well, normally, a 6-0 win would mean a lengthy appraisal of the victors, in this case, Bolton Wanderers. Uh, however, on Sunday, Sunderland, the team they beat, dispensed with the services of Lee Johnson, which means we've got to begin there. Uh, Sam, how do you sack a manager who's third in the table a point off the automatic promotion places? Uh, how? You, um, you look at the away results, especially some of the ones where they've been smashed and uh, probably listen to hordes of disgruntled Sunderland fans on phone-ins uh, on the way home on Saturday evening and think, well, I might have to pull the trigger here. I think it's harsh, to be honest. I'm not going to go massive on it because I don't want to... Well, I've turned my mentions off a long time ago, but I'm not in the mood for Sunderland fans to come at me. But I do feel, I do feel it's harsh. You know, the highest scorers in the division, they've got the best home record. Yeah, some of these away results have been disastrous, but... I wouldn't say it's consistency I've seen from them this year, but there's been some really good performances and the emergence of some young players have been given uh, more responsibility. Obviously, Ross Stewart's been a, a huge plus in what he's done at the club. So it's not all been doom and gloom. And I think we have been used to a lot of doom and gloom when we've been speaking about Sunderland the last couple of years. So surprised, yes, because um, I don't know where they go from here, really, You know, considering... Oh, the next four games, they don't play anyone above 17th, I don't think, as well. So the timing feels a little bit strange. I'd have fancied Lee Johnson probably to get the job done still this year. In terms of potential replacements, Michelle, Abby's touting Grant McCann, which would feel like a decent fit to me. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout. Um, Grant McCann did himself, did himself a lot of favours. Those last couple of games in charge of Hull, two really good results. A lot of credit in the bank, you'd think. The way he handled himself was such class as well. When he knew what was coming with a new owner coming in, he knew that his days were numbered, but he's still got two great performances out of that whole side. And they're doing okay this season. And he has a promotion to his name from last season. I feel for Lee Johnson... You know, look, from an outside perspective, you look at Sunderland third in the table, only two points off the top. I guess the pessimist could say, well, look at the teams around them with the games in hand, but you have to win those games in hand. But... 6-0 by a team that was sat in 15th. It's it's a hard one to take for the Sunderland fans. Anyone else other than McCann, Clarkey, who you think might be in line for it? Duncan Ferguson, interest in the bookies, Paul Cook, Warnock? Well, not Warnock, not McCarthy, not Ferguson, because they made a big song and dance up at Sunderland when they appointed the sporting director, Christian Speakman, of, of changing the identity and, you know playing a certain way and, and bringing younger players into the team, playing a more attractive brand of football. And I think Lee Johnson ticked all the boxes and, and I think he did a very good job at it. That, that, that It's a much younger group, m- fresher, more exciting. They've got far more saleable assets now than when he took over because he'd given them a chance and they've, and they've shone. So, so he did what was asked of him I get why they've panicked because they've just been battered, not for the first time this season. But if they then go and appoint a Warnock or a McCarthy, 
it basically says, forget that plan. Just, just we're done with that. All we care about really is going up. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's a fascinating crossroads moment for Sunderland. What they will try to do, no doubt, is find a manager that they strongly believe will get them up and play the kind of football that that that, that, that they crave. And, and Grant McCann certainly ticks that. Um, yeah, Paul Cook potentially, but but the the Ipswich experience has probably scarred his his reputation a little bit. He'll be seen as a gamble now. It's going to be interesting to see where Lee Johnson goes next. We're going next to Priestfield. Uh, Oxford into the playoff places after scoring seven times away from home for the first time ever in the EFL. Hapless Gilligan, their victims, as Cam Brown had statisticians around the globe frantically thumbing through their record books to see if anyone had ever scored four penalties in one game before uh, they had not. Sam Goley's got to save one of these, hasn't he? I mean, four penalties, three of them go the, the same way. Sorry, I've still got a bit of sick in my mouth from you calling him Cam Brown. Um, <laughs> um, the only the, the thing that this made me think of was walking around the corner from my mum's my house when I was a kid to the um, to the summer fate on the common and um, taking penalties to try and win a trophy and they accumulated them and there was a winner at the end of the day. And it, I always try to work out, you know, mind games with a goalkeeper. If you put two to one side, you have to change the next one to the opposite side and stuff like that. So I think there is, there's a lot of cat and mouse going on. I always tended to go <laughs> on the common two one way and then change it. And um, did you win? Cameron Brannigan went. What he went? Oh, I won once one year. Yeah, I think I got sixteen consecutive, mate. Oh. Sixteen consecutive pens. Um, I just made that number up, but I did win the trophy <laughs> one year. Um, Brannigan went right, didn't he? Once, and then he mm. went left, left with the next left. with the next three. So it is problematic for the goalkeeper definitely to to gamble. But they were they were beautifully struck and. Um, Obviously, Carl Robinson spoke about that injury he had and the previous time that he played at Gillingham. So, yeah, quite fitting that he got those goals and also going to be really interesting to see if he stays put because I think there's big interest, isn't he, in Cameron Brannigan. And I think we've been saying on this podcast that he is, um, yeah, he's he's been the jewel of the crown of, of Oxford's midfield um, for a number of years now. What about Neil Harris to Gillingham then, Michelle, I mean, it, it just shows that you've got to take jobs when they get offered to you, basically, haven't you? Because he was at Cardiff and, and now he might be in League Two next season. I really have enjoyed Neil Harris joining us on Sky the last month. He's come in a couple of times and I've done games with him and he's really good company. And I said to him on Friday, I said, anything in the pipeline at the moment? He said, oh, the only jobs available really, but they, they would really work for me, are Gillingham and Colchester. I said, oh, yeah, Gillingham's not far from you in terms of geography. He said, yeah, but no. And he sort of just palmed it off. And then I see this morning, Neil Harris, <laughs> Gillingham manager. So I didn't, I didn't think that was a goer. But, yeah, he, he, he sort of intimated to me without wanting to, to say too much is, is it is important, isn't it, to have that balance. But he just loves football and he wants to be back in the game. And... If he can keep chilling him up in League League One and then have a good window in summer, that's a positive way of looking at it. Contrastly, like you say, they could be playing in League Two next season, which isn't what he'd want. Um, I thought it was when he left Cardiff that that was tough for him, and then the way Nick McCarthy went in and they did brilliantly. It's just so typical of of Cardiff of recent years. So it'd be interesting to see what sort of impact he has when he goes into Gillingham because they're in dire straits, aren't they? Tough gig for him as well, Clarkie. What, what with the supporters being so frustrated with the ownership, obviously he's done his due diligence and, and feels that he can deal with that. But it's um, yeah, it's not an easy job. 
No, it's not a happy stadium at the moment. Um, and, and Paul Scully is not the easiest owner to to work for, I'd imagine. But but the pla- the fans will be delighted, I think, with this acquisition. They should be really, really happy to have him. He's an excellent manager, good guy, as Michelle points out. And he instantly makes the Jills a bit more likeable. And, and, I, and I rate him as well. I think he is a good manager. So he probably hasn't got enough quality there to save them this season but but maybe next year they they would they would turn it around and, and have a promotion tilt from league 2 just just so yeah i, I just think it's a good appointment from gillingham and and i don't blame neil for for, for taking a chance and and get, just getting back into the game I just wanted to point out that the goalkeeper of gillingham obviously he's let in seven here he only recently joined on loan um, after a, a loan spell with Doncaster. So he's been absolutely stitched up, hasn't he, by his parent club Watford this season. He, he gets sent to Donny and, and then they recall him and then they send him to, to Gillingham. So I had I took the time to look at his, his record this season. Um, he's lost 15 of 22 matches. He's, yeah, he's earned 13 points from 22 games, conceded two goals a game on average, 44 conceded. Uh, across the season, so you go Pontus Dalberg, the Swedish goalkeeper for Gillingham. You know you have my sympathy. Lastly, from League One, MK Dons won one nil at Wickham uh, on Monday. Wickham chairman Rob Kuhig has written a letter to season ticket holders in which he addressed a number of issues, uh, including what happened on Saturday with the abusive chants aimed at Adebayo Akinfenwa from MK Dons supporters and the fact the game was halted because of that. He also says on the subject of Derby, Derby is an interesting situation. Its administrators continue to peddle the premise that Wickham are somehow responsible for its possible demise. Nothing has changed concerning the disagreement between Wickham and Derby. There have been no discussions, no calls, nothing since I visited their offices in London last November. Uh, That one will rumble on and on, as will our attempts to land a successful bet builder with Paddy Power. Abby, I'm going for Wigan against Oxford to have more than two and a half goals because Oxford have just scored seven of them in one game and Wigan usually score at least once. What odds can you give me on that, please? I was going to ask you why, because I realised um, last Monday we, we just let you say Gillingham to win without any reason whatsoever. <laughs> so I'm glad you've at least proffered uh, an opinion on this one. Uh, Wigan are the favourites here, heavy favourites, 21 to 20. Oxford, 13 to 5. The draw more likely than an Oxford win, 12 to 5. But you have said over two and a half goals between these two sides. And Paddy Power have that at 4 to 5. That means our treble comes in at 8.33 to 1. Thanks, Abby. League 2 next. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. In League 2, one bookmaker's already paid out on Forest Green Rovers winning the league. Newport are into the top three. The Stag Party keeps on rolling as Mansfield notch up their eighth league win on the spin. Stevenage continue to move up the table. They're five unbeaten. And the Shazerection at Oldham began with a 0-0 draw. Now we're going to Prenton Park where the top two faced each other and Forest Green were handsome winners as the Matt attack did for Tranmere. A 4-0 victory for the visitors means they are 10 points ahead of Rovers and 11 clear of the playoffs. Um, Michelle, I always feel like you're asking for trouble when you spend the week trumping up the fact that you're going to sell out your ground, get 11,000 supporters and and show what a big club you are. And yeah, in, in my experience, this usually ends in a heavy defeat. Look, I'm sorry, and I don't want to taunt Tramith fans or the club, but you do not 
you do not play meat songs before a game thinking it's funny trying to taunt an eco-friendly club did you see this or did you hear lots this? of meatloaf yeah what they, yeah yeah it, was, um, it could have been a tribute obviously he died recently didn't he mm, the, the death was too far so, away for it to be uh, to be a tribute i think if it had been within the week that would be fine but over two yeah, weeks if, look, if that was some if that was some sort of um mind games or a mistake Nope. Okay. Mistake. <laughs> nope. Wow. That's oh, steak. Or yeah, got you. Very good. Steak. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm vegetarian. So I'm um, yeah. Look, yeah. Tramway made a big, big deal of how many they had coming to to the game and things, didn't they? And it's sort of just all all backfired. And just look at Forest Green Rovers compared to Tramway on the day. You know, I know Mickey Mellon said they were just too good for them, but ten points clear at the top of League Two at the end of January. Surely this is the year that they do it. Really pleased for Rob Edwards. Um, I do. I just hope they get over the line. You know, they're not far from me. They're building the new... I think the new ground is 33 minutes from my house. My husband randomly was Googling it the other day. Um, And the club's going places. And I I love the way they do things. I know Dale Vince is an interesting character to some people, but the things they stand for and the way they do things, it's a model that a lot of clubs one day will need to aspire to, if we're honest. Don't want to get to climate change and all of that right now. But it is the biggest problem of our generation. This is a club that are winning football matches. They're going to be promoted this this season, surely. And they're doing it in an inspirational way, in my vegetarian opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the Twitter spat between the clubs would hint at, at legitimate beef between them, even if it is only Beyond Meat available at FGR. Um, I quite like to see that, Clarkie. It, it, just, just a little bit of sort of pettiness on social media between two clubs. That's how the rest of the world works. <laughs> nah. It should be the same in League don't like it. No, I don't like it. No, not. I banned not this last last time we spoke about this, didn't we? Yeah. Sorry. I banned this, didn't I? Twitter spats the last time we did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I ran. Sort of. Don't, don't enjoy it. To be honest, I would. I'm a little bit with Matt on this. There seems to be some deep, deep hatred between these two. So I'm, I'm all for it on this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good comeback though from um, Nicola Palios, wasn't it? Because they, they they came for her during the game, and uh, yeah, there was a, there was a nice little response. But yeah, Forest Green on the pitch, just different class, weren't they? Um, they it's a sign of a really, really good team, isn't it? You can go to away from home, packed out stadium, big atmosphere, and you turn in your big, your best performance of the season. And and yeah, it was just so accomplished. Those wing backs just get them into so many advanced areas. Tranmere, as is often the case, actually, when it, when a ground is unusually sold out, where normally it'd be half full, and then it's suddenly sold out. I've seen it so many times down the years. The team. Don't turn up. They get a little bit phased by it, and and it feels to me as that might have been what happened to Tranmere, who forgot how to defend, and and yeah, they didn't really play with any any kind of aggression or quality. At Newport, welcome back supporters to Rodney Parade this weekend, celebrated by moving up to third place. That after they beat Barrow by two goals to one. Uh, Sam, you surprised that that nobody from a higher divisions had a look at Dom Telford this month? Twenty league goals for him now. They probably will be. He was certainly asked the question um, after the game. He said he'd go to PSG, which I thought was a, a nice line. Um, he seems to have been around forever, Telford, and he's only 25. Incredible, really. Um, but he is in just the form of his, his life. The second goal was beautiful. First one, an instinctive kind of striker's finish. 20 and 19 um, appearances. Uh, obviously the first one since John Aldridge, who I believe he doesn't he didn't know who he was, which is glorious. <laughs> We didn't know who Aldo was. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going really well. Again, Newport, last few games. I spoke about that problem 
potentially in the midfield area. And Scott Bennett, interestingly, played there at the weekend, former teammate of mine. So he does, does give them a bit more defensive nous uh, in the middle of the, the pitch in, in what was a pretty horrible game. And they weren't particularly good, Newport, here, but um, good sign for... For, for them, that they're, they're picking up maximum points once more. But yeah, they need to keep hold of Telford if they want to secure one of those automatic positions. Yeah, just on Barrow, obviously they're not in a, not in a great run of form at the moment, but they did make a game of this. It was pretty competitive. They could easily have snatched a draw at the end with a, with a bad miss. I was taking a look at their, their, the run of form that they've been on and they've faced eight promotion hopefuls in the last 10 games. Um, so it's been a horrendous run in terms of difficulty in the fixtures. In the two matches against non-promotion hopefuls, they've picked up four points. So even though there might be an element of, of panic around Barrow at the moment, are, are they going to, to be sucked into that bottom two? I'd say that they've still got a good chance of pulling out because they've got they've just got a load of really difficult fixtures out of the way. Wait there, Clarky, can you round off our bet builder, please? Sure can. Yeah, I'm going for um, Swindon Town against Crawley. Both teams to score. It happens in 73% of Swindon games and it happens in 65% of Crawley games. So I think the odds are quite good, really, in in, in terms of the season so far. Not many clean sheets um, shared out between these two sides. So, yeah, both teams to score, please. Abby, I'm guessing that that's going to be 6 to 10. Six to ten. Uh, it is eight to eleven. So you know, closer. Uh, but Swindon are the favourites in that one. Seventeen to twenty. Crawley three to one. Draw eleven to four. That bet builder comes in at fifteen point one two to one. Tune in on Thursday to find out if we did it. Which I can tell you now. We didn't. <laughs> but do tune in. Uh, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right, Michelle, you've got to hit the road now. You're off to Sky to bring us coverage of Portsmouth versus Charlton in League One tonight. Sam will be at that one too. Many thanks for your company today. Um, we'll speak to you again soon. No worries. See you later, boys. Bye. <laughs> Always the worst time to record a podcast on transfer deadline day. We're halfway through it, but there are a couple of things that we can talk about. Bournemouth, Sam. My goodness me, they're busy. Freddie Woodman, Siriki Dembele, Todd Campwell, Kiefer Moore, Nat Phillips might all be there by the time people are listening to this. Scott Parker can't say he hasn't been backed. Uh, is it a risk to, to bring in all these new players in one go? Probably would be if they were absolutely flying right now and uh, been on a ridiculous winning run maybe a la Newcastle United when they threw away that uh, that title when they signed Asprilla and uh, maybe one or two others if memory serves me right so no I think you know nobody's really been that consistent for Scott Parker and his team maybe not offensively you know Dom Solanke apart in, in recent weeks in comparison to early part of the season so they probably need a little bit more I would say to to definitely get that spot. So, no, it'd be really interesting to see how how Dembele gets on um, for one. So, um, yeah, be be fascinating if if they if they strengthen now. They you know you'd have to have them as strong favourites to 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 join Fulham. Any hopes of Peter Bristain that might disappear, mightn't they, Adrian? If Dembele goes, yeah, he's been one of their brightest sparks, hasn't he, going forward this season? But they've got. Um, Marriott back fit and available now haven't they Clark Harris has been playing so yeah it's it's not an ideal time to sell him but but I guess that they 
yeah, they've got to bring in the money while while they can. And and Dembele's been sort of on the edge of leaving for a long, long time. So maybe, maybe now is the is the right the right period. But Peterborough are in the mix. They've just got to back themselves, haven't they? It's a it's a mini season now for all those teams at the bottom of the table. Darren Ferguson won't be that happy, but but yeah, maybe they'll do some business today to to make sure he's adequately replaced. Uh, Josh Madger might be headed to Stoke. Fabio Carvalho might be headed to Liverpool. Uh, the assumption with that is that he would then be loaned back to Fulham for the rest of the season. Do you like that kind of deal, Sam, where you get loaned back for the rest of the season? Is there a, a possibility that he might be thinking, oh, I don't want to go in for that tackle. I, I might be playing with Mo Salah next season. Well, I think he's good enough to be, probably. So so normally I would say no. Um, they'd be thinking about getting Fulham promoted, continuing the same form that he's in right now, which is unbelievable. He's he's fast becoming a, a superstar, really. Um, so I think someone's got to take him. You know, if they're... If they're interested in doing business for them, then I'm sure they're going to get a nice chunk of money because he's that good. But no, I, I don't mind it. Getting back, getting playing regular games, and then I, th- I think he's he's got all the attributes. They spoke about his awareness on the TV on Saturday night. I mean, that's what's grabbed me as well. You can go beyond people and, and finish from time to time, but his game understanding seems to be incredibly mature as well. So no, I think that will probably suit all parties. And it it, it sounds like. He's not going to sign a new contract at Fulham and for whatever reason he feels that he wants to move on. Is he good enough to to be in and around the Liverpool team next season, Clarky? Close. He's, he's a talent, that is for sure. But it's, I mean, you, you are talking about the true elite, aren't you? Liverpool's forward line. It might be a couple of years before, before he's a regular, but he's heading to the top. He just, he's, a, he's got a brilliant football brain. He's so quick. Did you see the speed of that that chance where he, he hit the he hit the post and the I think again in, in the last game where he ran from halfway, just incredible, um, great creativity. He's he's the best teenager I've seen for a long long time at a Championship level, and yeah, he will soon be shining in the in the Premier League. It could be next season, the season after. He definitely will be. Uh, he's he's that good. Difficult question, Clarkey, but if you've got one space in Liverpool's front three and they're both fit, Harvey Elliott or Carvalho? <laughs> I know my answer. Well, my answer is Carvalho. I, I, I rate him better, but, but Harvey Elliott can play midfield, so I can get them both in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Lister, you can laugh at us while you're listening to that if none of those moves actually ended up going through. Uh, we'll probably round things up on Thursday in terms of transfers there'll be some midweek action for us to look back on too as well as looking ahead to the big games to come this weekend do join us for that if you can until then many thanks to Michelle to Abby to Sam and to Adrian and to you for joining us today speak to you again later in the week bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally show on Twitter and on Insta Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.